Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. This is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides along the journey to RPG adventures. We are all D&D role players and storytellers at heart. It's where we started out, and it's where we find ourselves most at home. So here in our main podcast episodes, we discuss the core rules, how to use them as written, and how to homebrew your own content to get the most out of your story. Because detailed settings, heroic characters, vibrant NPCs, and a focus on story over rules is what makes a campaign legendary. Here's a message from friends of the show. No one knows where it began, and no one knows when it will end. But every single being in this realm knows war. War is chaos, but in their hands, it's more. They attack with cold and methodical precision, as though they mean every death, every scar, and every orphaned child. They are not fighting to survive as we are. They are fighting for the win for glory, for balance. Seeing the atrocities of the balances indirectly through the imaginings of words can never pale in comparison to seeing them firsthand. The experience could be likened to an unfeeling, to non-existence. Perhaps, in the shadows of our enemies, you seem insignificant and, if it were up to them, you would be. However, I am here to say, you are not. The balances strive only to kill you and step over you to the next one in line. With you in their path, they are one step further from the next, one step further from your friend, one step further from your family. You are the most important piece in this fight, and joining is the right thing to do. Hi, I'm Kel of Awfully Queer Heroes. What you just heard is a portion of lore from my current Kickstarter. It was recorded and edited by the good people of Control Group, who can be found on Twitter. The Kickstarter is a level 1 to level 20 campaign, where you fight as the forces of chaos against the oppressive forces of order and balance. It has new playable races, merging with elementals, a fully randomised tower, and so much more. A link to the campaign can be seen in the description below, and I hope to see you there. Welcome everybody to today's episode. So we are now less than a week after Wizards of the Coast has put out their next uh, or their latest adventure module, The Wild Beyond the Witchlight, their Feywild inspired adventure module. So you all out there who have ever listened to us know how much uh, we love us some Fae. We're going to crack open some pieces of the book tonight. We're not going to talk about everything because we have some some announcements that we want to go ahead uh, and talk about before we get into uh, the book itself. I almost just had a very disruptive Boy Scouts 
interruption, but I'm not going <laughs> to. Hey, you know, if you, if you want to interrupt Boy Scouts, you go right ahead. Uh, uh, Glenn, how are you doing tonight? I know you've been feeling under the weather. How, how are you tonight? Um, I'm doing all right. I've been, definitely been sick. A uh, little, little low energy tonight, but I'm going to give it a shot. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, cool. And uh, as always, uh, Mr. Miller, Lewanika, how are you? How are you enjoying the new Feywild book? I am loving it. Uh, as you said, we love us some Fey. Pardon the use of the term because we're going to be using it a lot. <laughs> I love. I absolutely love the book, uh, or at least the, the parts of the book. I have some quibbles and some queries and a few issues with a couple things, but on whole, I'm just glad for more Fey content, and we'll dig in in a short while to go into all the pieces and parts. We, we, we will dig into that. And so uh, a couple of things here, uh, some, uh, some Tabletop Journeys podcast bookkeeping and, uh, uh, and things that we want to go ahead and do first. And the first thing is that we want to uh, announce a very exciting giveaway. Now, everybody out there in podcast land knows how much we love giving things away to the people that listen to and support our show. So, because Wizard of the Coast has put out a brand new book and partnering with Citadel Game Seller in Groton, Connecticut, we've got a copy of the book to give away over the course of uh, the next 10 days, starting from the day you hear this announcement, you will be able to enter through a couple of different ways to win a copy of the uh, the hardcover book. So here's how you can win. On Twitter or on Facebook, you can share and create posts with the hashtag TTJFEYBS for the Fey book extravaganza. Slash Fey bullshit. <laughs> Slash Fey bullshit, whichever, right? Yeah. And because we love our Patreon sub- subscribers and love the support that they give to our show, uh, everyone who is subscribing to our Patreon on October 4th, which is the day the contest ends, will win a bonus entry into the contest. So, you could still get in on that if you're not a Patreon. Like you can still now. get in on that. Exactly. You subscribe right now to our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash TT Journeys. You win a bonus entry to win the book. Share the post on Facebook. Share the post on Twitter. You go subscribe to our Patreon. That is three entries for you to, to win the book. Then the Patreon subscription is going to come with the other benefit of the option to try to get in on our actual play. Absolutely. Glenn, you are exactly right, because being a Patreon supporter not only has the benefit of getting bonus entries to win a copy of the new Feywild book, you also, at Kinfolk level, you get early access to all of our episodes, and we love our Patreon-fueled actual play adventures, our field trip episodes, so the way to get in on those games is to subscribe to our Patreon. Uh, So if you're interested, if you've been thinking about uh, whether or not to go ahead and subscribe to our Patreon to help support the show, now is the time, because if you go ahead and subscribe right now, you can get your name in the drawing for a copy of the book. You can also get a cup, get an entry by sharing the post hashtag TTJ F E Y B S. We want to be giving away this book. We enjoy this book so much. We want to give away a copy to a lucky listener and a lucky Patreon subscriber. So go ahead and get that. And even more than that. So the one thing that we're not going to be talking about tonight in tonight's episode uh, which is going to sound a little strange until we give you the reason for it, uh, is going to be the five chapters of adventure material that's in the middle and the core of this book. Now, we're going to touch on what the what those adventure modules are and, and kind of what's going on there and, and everything like that. 
But the reason that we're not going to be talking about it is, so this episode's coming out on uh, Saturday, September 25th, about six o'clock in the morning, East Coast time. In just a few short hours, we're going to be gathering with our Patreons for our actual play. And we, uh, so we have been running the Candlekeep Mysteries with them for the last four or five months or so. Their next mission is going to be chapter one of The Wild Beyond the Witchlight. So uh, that's the other reason why we're pushing out the episode a little bit late today, because we didn't want our Patreons to go ahead and get ahead, so we want this to be a surprise. So don't tell anybody. But uh, if you want to get in on playing through other content from the new books as they come out, be- become a Patreon subscriber. Go ahead and, uh, and, and jump on that and get your invite to our Patreon actual play. Actual play is where we have a ton of fun. So much. And it's where we, and where we get to actually use some of these adventures. We spend a lot of time reviewing material, and we want to use the adventures, and we want to play the games. We're not just talking about the games. We're actually playing them. So when we're telling you what we what we use and how we homebrew and how we change and alter or how we keep things the same, the actual plays where you get to see that in practice. If you want to see us put to good use all the things we talk about on the show, tune into the actual play. Better yet. Join us in the actual play. Absolutely. So that's www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys to join there. All right. Enough business, gentlemen. Let us dive into the wild beyond the witchlight. Let's start with kind of general thoughts here. Um, Lewanika, you said a, a little bit about what your thoughts are. Uh, Glenn, give me a few minutes on 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 what your thoughts are on this book are on first read. I'll give you, I'll try to give you a few minutes of just summary. Um, Cause I did really enjoy it. And I am very much looking forward to the actual play taking this turn uh, to yeah, see how it goes. Me too. <laughs> Candle keeps been a blast, but having the opportunity to now shift to the new material that's coming out as opposed to playing out all of it, I think is really cool, but I really enjoyed it because it's kind of almost without being a setting counterpoint to Ravenloft uh, because yep. they're introducing the concepts of the, do- the concept of the domains of delight in the Feywild, um, which is very similar to the domains of dread now being tied to the Shadowfell. And I think that concept's really neat and the way that the overall synopsis of the adventure reads, I've really been into hags lately. So I'm, I'm definitely digging some of the, the prime <laughs> pot, plot line going down uh, yeah. and the way that it's set up. I don't want to give too much away or how, I don't know how far we really want to go into that yet. No, I totally agree with you. The hag bit of the storylines, fantastic. Love it. Love the flavor. Fantastic. Carry on. <laughs> no worries. Um, but overall, I was intrigued. I liked the way that they wrote out the story. I liked the way that they made some of it a little freeform, both in the way it starts and the motivations for the hooks, uh, down to the way the different ways that it can play out based on who you meet and the way it sets up the milestone levels so that it's not like 100% it's not linear. It's not point A to point B. It's not written as a, you must go from here to here to here. It's got a lot of flexibility. And I know that's the way they ride them now, but I just really enjoyed that about it as well. I, I agree with all that. Much like Candlekeep, there are pieces of this book that you can lift and bring into your own campaign. The hags in particular, I thought like that, the and the, the, the whole factions throughout Appendix A of the book, thought those were probably some of the most, most homebrew friendly pieces um, of the book. Um, uh, I also, the, the milestone bit, I guess that is a big shift. Like it milestone is one of those things that like we all do. And we've talked about it a lot. Like we did an entire episode on, on how to, 
gain XP and how to dish out SP, XP as a storyteller and everything like that. And so like Milestone feels really comfortable to those of us in the homebrew community. And it's also nice to kind of see it in the book. I am going to say that writing another adventure module that's keyed directly to characters of level one through eight seemed like a missed opportunity to me. I think we'll we'll dive into that in a in a little bit more uh, more detail here uh, going forward. See, I chose to see that as an introduction to the Feywild with more to come. Yeah. So I hear you. Okay, let's go here then. So uh, mm. I hear you. Oh, can I? Can I? I hear you. Can I? <laughs> well, hold on. Let me let me get my sentence out first, and then and then I'll let you take it, Lewinika, because I really want it to be that. However, I know. If they gave us a book, so what we all wanted was a Fate Wild book. We have been asking for a Fate Wild book on this particular podcast since roughly two minutes after the podcast started, right? Mm-hmm. Actually, two minutes during the first production meeting a month before <laughs> exactly. the first two minutes of exactly. the podcast. Exactly, in, in, in the before Glenn times, right? So we all wanted a Fate Wild book. We didn't get a Fate Wild book. We got a Fate Wild adventure module. I'm not sure how you would then take your level eight characters who have done what needs to be done in this adventure module to win the adventure and then bring them someplace else in the Feywild. Because I'm not sure that there, there's no material for them unless they get sucked into Ravenloft, which would be totally cool. You know, no, you're not, you're not wrong, but I'm going to be, I'm going to level with you, Josh. I don't think they intend to write the Feywild as a world setting book. Yeah. No, because I it's agree. Not, They're it, not they never yeah. designed it as an intention of being a fully explored, constantly 100% in it from start to finish world to play in. It's a mirror world. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, I've been trying not to crush y'all with that for a really long time, <laughs> but I feel the time has come. <laughs> Particularly since I was trying to save this off a little bit with my my intro to Wild to placate you, but think about it. Anything that you get gives you more information about it, but unless they create an actual playable world of it, all you're going to get is adventure modules and things like that. Yep. Really what I wanted was I wanted the book that they did for Ravenloft, and I wanted that book also for the Feywild. That's really what I wanted. So, And they could have done the Domains of the Light and done that, yes, but they didn't. Well, they did put out a module for it. After this book came out, they put an $8 module on DMs Guild that had Domains of the Light. Let me jump in here because um, I'm I'm chomping at the joke. Get it, get it. <laughs> and, uh, and, and 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 the dazzling, gloriously brilliant, shiny fruit that's being offered at our table with grand hospitality is so tasty, and I must bite of it. Uh, let's go ahead and, and, and talk about what you just mentioned. You wanted them to do a, a setting book. We wanted them to do a setting book. They gave us an adventure module with some setting material enough to play the adventure modules and enough to get started and let the homebrew forces get to work. That is essentially what they did with Curse of Strahd. Ravenloft started with just an adventure path and a module. They then did a rewrite of it more recently last year uh, and then said, is it popular enough to go further? Based on the popularity the first time, based on the increased popularity the second time, and feedback from surveys that happened with UAs and after that, the, the, the reprint module and its overall popularity in the hobby, they then decided to do the Ravenloft setting book. So the answer to your point is, if we're ever going to get a Fae world, 
people are going to have to buy, play, enjoy, chat, share, play again this setting. And maybe a year out, we don't have to do it the reprint. Maybe they'll just go straight for it since they know it worked with Strahd. But it'll only happen if we in the community who love Faye are out there playing the and you, game. And that was a better way to say what I was trying to say. I wasn't just saying that it, it wasn't going to happen. I was saying it wasn't going to happen unless the popularity was there with this, thus yeah. intro. So yep. well said. Yep. I mean, I, 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 I hear you. And that is exactly what I want. And they are placating us with that $8 module on DMs Guild. They're giving us a little bit more because uh, they realize while everybody should be going to DMs Guild and buying products, hashtag call your boys, DTJ, we're on there. They are not going there in the same numbers that they're getting the stuff, the, the official modules and such. Yep. So th that is largely being structured as a DM resource. If your players like this game, Get this so you can take it a wee bit further. And if the popularity in the comments and all the errata questions and if the raw group and the rules as written group and the rules as fun group and rules as intended group and Crawford gets all his questions and ends up doing 15 more interviews between uh, the CBR group and, and so on and so forth. If all of those things come together, we will probably get what we're asking for. I can say that based on an interview I watched with Crawford, he loves Faye and he loves this product. This is something he has actually been trying and arguing and debating for since, I think, almost Sword Coast time. Hmm. Okay. And every time he's come close to getting it, something else jumped in front of it in line. So we are finally getting what Crawford has wanted for years. All we as fans have to do is support it, and maybe he'll be able to give us some more. All right, so let's dive in then. Uh, let's dive into the actual content of the book. And so we're going to start with the with the introduction. Uh, the introduction features several sort of uh, key points here. There's a lot in the introduction. I thought the introduction was, for the most part, uh, uh, pretty substantive, which was really nice to see at the beginning of the book. We saw uh, that um, how to run adventures in this uh, section again, like we did uh, with Candlekeep and we saw with, with Ravenloft, which I thought was really, it wasn't as comprehensive as it was in Ravenloft. It was, what, a, a column and a half of information on how to run this. But I think that that's fine. They did they did all that they could to go ahead and insist in that introduction no fewer than five times that this book is for the dungeon masters, not for the players. <laughs> I think they, they very clearly uh, uh, enunciated uh, that particular problem um, and or a p particular uh, situation, um, and we also saw a couple of really neat flavor things. We saw the the uh, the ginormous roll table for the Feywild trinkets. Uh, we saw the backgrounds, which I'm sure uh, Mr. Miller wants to go ahead and talk about, um, and uh, we saw the version of the lineages uh, that made it into the book from the ua originally let's let's start you know uh, let's start with the backgrounds let's start there um what's your take on the back you're you're the resident background guy so so what what was your take on the backgrounds i love backgrounds in general i've yet to meet one that i did not like i think they work i love the fact that when you have a new campaign setting that's what this is it's campaigns it's a campaign book so uh i love the fact that here are some backgrounds that you can use for characters that are engaging in this. You're making them new. You're taking in existing characters. So what? But if you're building a character, 
that works with this. And so they're telling you these are some things that will be useful. It actually gives you a lot of information on what could possibly be in, in, in the game. Now, I have not read the adventures, so I don't know for a fact, but I get this sense. And I do know from playing with Fae-type stuff in other editions uh, and in the past and doing a lot of Fae homebrew in my own games, that this tracks. I wish I'd had this background months ago, years ago. I can think of a number of characters that have joined my game that this might have been quite useful for. I think it's a good set of uh, uh, it's some interesting things. I love the concept of the Fey Lost. I mean, you know, stolen as a child, returned home. It smacks of the 4400. It smacks of all kinds of interesting different ways to, uh, you know, have Fey interact with characters. A character could be Fey Lost and have never been in the Fey, and now all of a sudden they show up at a carnival and they're back in the middle of the stuff, and all of a sudden they start remembering or what have you. There are some really neat narrative directions this background can lend itself to. Or, or even if you're taking this background into other games that just make it cool. What a great way to, if you're not playing a fighter, you're not getting a feed off the bat, start with Fae Lost background and later on get Fae Touched. You know, I think that narratively really flows well. I agree with you that flavor-wise, both of the backgrounds, the Fey Lost and the Witchlight Hand backgrounds, are flavorful. Absolutely fantastic on the flavor. They lose it for me on the mechanics because we have talked about this before in various other contexts. They're limited. They're very, very limited because both of them. So the the Fey Lost half of the mechanical benefit that you get for the Fey Lost background, you have to be in the Fey Wild to get it. The other one on the Witchlight Hand, it's even more limited. The the Carnival Companion, which is probably the best part or the best mechanical part of that background, yep. it only applies if you're in the Carnival. So even like within the scope of this adventure module, of the five chapters of adventure module, only one of them is in the Carnival. It's exactly the same thing I was thinking. I loved their flavor, but they're entirely too specific because... All you'd have to do, it wouldn't be hard. I get it. They're trying to make it cool to the book. But instead of Carnival Companion, all they had to do was set up the other skill underneath Witchlight Hand to have something that would have applied to any troop of performers or Carnival and his ability to fit in, lend a hand, show that he knows the business, you know, kind of like a Thieves Guild or anything else would. And now it's useful anywhere in the world. I spent most of my focus on Fey Loss because I just love that. And I do. Think I did too. That I thought it was wicked cool. I really like the way that works. You mentioned that it would only like most of it only works while it's you're in the Fey, and I didn't quite get that out of it when I read it. But I'm interested to hear how you came to that conclusion. The Feywild feature, the Feywild connection feature. Uh, your mannerisms and knowledge of Fey customs are recognized by by natives of the Feywild who see you as one of their own. Because of this, friendly Fey creatures are inclined to come to your aid if you are lost or need help in the Feywild. Okay. So you can't tap into that power unless you're in the Feywild. Right. Or near a spot where it connects, I would let that spill over. And you're, I had forgotten about that part. I was looking at the one above it with the uh, Feywild visitor, but that could apply anywhere. That one wasn't specific to... Uh, so with, with, with the part that you mentioned, my personal take on that is, it, it, and this might be a wording way, uh, a way it was worded, you're correct. They will only help you if you're lost in the Feywild. And like Glenn said, I would certainly say near the Feywild. 
However, they did say they would be disposed to you if they're native of the Feywild. So any fake creature native of the Feywild, no matter where they meet you, will still be better disposed towards you. So the feature is useful everywhere. It may not be as useful, but let's be honest. How often are your characters lost? Like at your table, how often are your characters lost? So how useful is anything saving you from being lost? Why do you think nobody takes that feat that says, by the way, you can never get lost? Because nobody ever has to worry about being lost. So I think having fake creatures more, more pleasantly disposed to you is an exceptional ability and full of narrative flavor and worth. That's kind of how I I agree with you on Faye Lost, Lee, but I agree with Josh on the Witchlight Hand. Because you're you're not wrong, Josh. The Faye Lost has that small limit. But aside from that, um, and it would give you advantage anytime you happen to cross over. And let me tell you, in a lot of the games that I play with the people that I tend to play with, I wind up crossing over into the Feywild pretty freaking often. (laughs) He does on Monday night. So He does on Monday night. I got a raccoon named Pudge that came from the Feywild, follows me around. The Witchlight Hand for the Carnival Companion, I mean, not only is that specific for this module, right? This particular background is saying, you know, you've been with the Witchlight Carnival for a long time. You may have been back around your home world a couple of times. Maybe you get off there, maybe you get off somewhere else, but you're kind of done. You're looking for something new. So whatever world you get off in, that aspect, even if you wanted to go back and see that old friend, is only available once every eight years. I looked at it at face value and it was great. And I thought it'd be a cool thing to have going into this, but really here's how it would be most useful. I'm putting together a party. I've got a table, a bunch of players. I've got a friend who can only make the first five or six sessions. I would tell him to pick that. He's in the witch light thing. And at the end of the whole thing, he stays with the carnival. We'll see him in eight years for, for a guest appearance. He gets his background and it stays useful. That's how that works. And that's how to make use of that. But it is not as universally useful, and I would completely concur. Thing, and I appreciate the fact that you uh, called that out and brought that up. And obviously, my focus was on the one that, quite honestly, stopped the show. I read it first night and went back to it several times. After. Dude, I really like the Witchlight Hand too, though. Just its concept and its flavor, like because everybody, there's always that. When there, when I was a kid, there's a couple of times where I thought, "Oh yeah, I really am going to run away and join the circus." That would be so much fun when you're young and really, really stupid. Um, and there's all the stories of kids that did, right? But this isn't just the circus. This is like a fey gypsy carnival that only comes through your world once every eight years. So you sneak off with that one. There's no going back. There's no going back. Yeah. I yeah. thought I thought the concept of growing up in that environment, you know, running away at seven and then spending the rest of your years in this kind of carnival, that sounded really freaking cool to me in terms of a background. And the things I could do with for that for mannerisms and the way I played the character, I loved it, except that last part. No doubt flavor for days. Crawford spoke about this carnival as an homage to to Jason Robard's Something Wicked This Way Comes. Mm. And I had that in my head because I watched that interview b- before I got the book. And I had that in my head as I was looking at that particular background and said, mm, yes, mm, most definitely yes. 
<laughs> All right, let's uh, let's slide on here. So the next kind of big thing in the uh, this introductory chapter um, is uh, the the canon version of uh, probably one of my favorite UA episodes, uh, the the races of the Feywild UA and how they have translated into the book. So uh, we started with Lee Winiko last time. Uh, Glenn, what are your thoughts on how uh, how that UA translated into the canon? So it definitely changed a little bit this time. I mean, the fairy, they even give you a description now. They look like small, slender elves with wings, which I actually don't like that much. They should have have had a little bit more flavor than that. But I know they want to leave you with some room to wiggle. Um, But before, it had no description whatsoever. And that was one of the things. I was like, well, what's it going to look like? And they made it very ambiguous. Like you could almost be look like anything from a frog to a lizard to... So they definitely narrowed that down a little bit, but it was a little bit sky's the limit before. I did still like them. Uh, I do still think the rabbit is far cooler. Yeah. And the way that yep. it came out. I mean, the fairy keeps flight, which is good because obviously it should have it, but now it is only small. I do want to still point out that all of the small races are getting walking speed 30 feet now. I've started giving halflings and gnomes from from the original book. 30 feet walking speed in my games, because I think that's the way that it should be. So it's not bad. I don't know. There was something about the way it read the first time. So there's, there's a thing in cooking that, that I see when I'm watching uh, cooking shows, they talk about mouthfeel. Like uh, it, it's just not great, right? It's a texture thing. It's um, it, it, uh, There's something about it that's just not right. It can taste great. It can look great. It can have all the things, but, if the mouthfeel isn't right, if it doesn't feel right, it just doesn't feel be honest, right. Part of it is the picture. It's the 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 little painted picture of the fairies that I, I just don't like it. And, and, and it sounds like beyond the picture that that's kind of what you're describing. It's not a specific thing. It's just a feel. It's a feel that it's not as good as it could have been. I didn't have that specific feeling. I don't care one way about the picture or not. Other than the wings, I always think of the brownies from Willow. So, right. <laughs> honestly, if I were to play one, I would probably go with my uh, to my storyteller and say, "How about I just lose the wings and I play these guys?" Uh, you know, that's my. You're around calling everybody. That's kind of what I would want to do. Kimmy. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's that, that's what I want to do. That's what, the only reason I would want to play one of these is for that purpose. Probably use them as NPCs because they're cool and phase neat and it's a neat fake creature. Uh, I don't think I personally would play one. If somebody wanted to play one at my table, I would, I would never say no. I would probably have reservations that I would try to keep to myself or at least only display on the podcast, <laughs> hoping that future players will see it. And realize it wouldn't necessarily be my favorite thing in a game, but that's more about the style and tone of games I tend to run. That said, a bunch of people could probably do them very well and have me be very well entertained uh, and enjoy them at my table. I just don't know if I see that potential for the type of game I tend to run. I could play a fairy and have fun. Don't get me wrong. That's why I made my my fairy the, when we did the uh, Folk of the Feywild. But I think the biggest reason that it's leaving that bad taste in my mouth is because of how imbalanced they are. And that finally just settled on me as I was looking at them. I mean, the, the abilities of the, uh, the Herongon are like solid. 
and useful and possibly bordering on maybe a little bit more than he sh they should have at the very beginning as uh, as racial features in my opinion whereas the fairies got druidcraft and flight flight's a very powerful ability in this it is let's be honest a fairy even at small is still dealing the same strength damage combat damage as anybody else right they're still dropping the dice plus strength you built a fairy and had a, a 19 strength you're still dropping and you took Tavern Brawler, you're still dropping D4 plus 4. That That's silly uh, for a little thing this big. And you oh, It's not about the size, though. That's not the way it is. And D&D &D size doesn't matter, Lee. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help it. Um, but let's, let's just... I get it. Flight is powerful. Hair trigger. Add your proficiency bonus to your initiative rolls. Leoprene senses. You automatically gain proficiency in the perception skill. Lucky footwork. Add a D4 to any save that you, at any dexterity saving throw that you ever fail. Uh, a rabbit hop that you could use as a bonus action to move five times your proficiency bonus, provoking no opportunities attacks. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're, they're impressive. They're imbalanced. Is anyway. I love the rabbit, though. He's amazing. Like Lee's theory of a, a clan of barbarian rabbits stomping before battle. Like, I want to make. <sighs> so, okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to try to try to bring some sense to, to the show here because Glenn, I, you're absolutely right. So for one, me mechanically, the, the fairies and, uh, the Herengon are very, very similar to what they were in the UA. The, the rules are very much the same, uh, with the exception that, uh, the fairies lost something. They lost, um, Fey Passage, which was their ability to squeeze through a space as narrow as one inch wide. Right, so which has made them now weaker. <laughs> uh, I really liked that ability, and yeah. I'm sad that that went away. I'm really sad that it went away. My, my comments on the lineages, though, in this book are going to be much more general. I understand why they took the hobgoblins out because hobgoblins are already a playable race from Volos. I don't think that that was a good thing. I think that they. I think we needed more. The new version. Uh, in this in this version, I would I I liked the hobgoblin of the Feywild, um, and I. You know, give it a different name. I mean, look, they renamed the rabbit folk the Heron Gone, which I also think was a, was a mistake. Um, I think I liked the, I liked the name Rabbit Folk, and I, I there's something about the way that there's something about the way giving them kind of this like sing songy kind of jokey lineage name that almost makes the awesome barbarian character that Lewanika drew up when we did the Fe, that that Feywild UA. It almost makes it not quite as special because like rabbit folk it's a it's a that's a strong name you know like but the hair and gone is just kind of like a it's too sing-songy it's too jokey it's like it doesn't fit the character anymore. but it does fit the feywild unfortunately because a lot of the feywild tends to go the sing-songy jokey route which is the only beef i have with it and i love me some fey a rabbit folk barbarian tribe isn't going to call themselves the hair and gons they're going to call they're going to they're going to take pride in their clan name thunderfeet well, I'll take that one step further because it's a character I built, and I looked at that and tossed about it, dreamt about it, woke up thinking about it, had my first Mountain Dew to, uh, while thinking about it, and had my second, third, fourth, and I don't know what I'm on right now. <laughs> I even had a monster that I'm finishing off right now uh, while thinking about it. And I'll be honest with you, I will play one that will probably punch. I will play that will punch anybody who calls him a heron guy. He's a rabbit folk. <laughs> he will be a rabbit folk. And that's what he's going to be called. And this is a barbarian who will throw down if you call him different. I, I would go so far as if I am playing that game, I would ask my storyteller to politely allow everybody in his clan to be the same. 
his, his clan, his group, his village, they refuse to use that name. That's the name for the Fae who've gone and got themselves cityed up and civilized up and bow and fealty <laughs> to some summer queen that the rest of the them want no part of oh. the summer court. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> They're the yeah. hair and guns, yeah. Oh, I love it. And I'm not trying to split hairs with you, but... <laughs> you knew that joke was coming. I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. You, you, I had, you had to know. I, I, we, were, we, were almost, we were almost out. We were almost out. Dude, at one point, it was a given that one of us was going to thump you over the head with it. Real quick, before we finish, we talked about, in, in comparison with the, with the rabbit folk, Aaron Gunn, and, uh, and the fairies, but I, one of the things I wanted to mention is the real big change beyond the name was uh, the hop feature changed in its mechanics. They simplified the way it works so it reads a little easier. There's a little less conjecture as to how it works, and I do like the change. I think the change works well. Uh, I think the other one was slightly better, but and, and I don't care whether one was better or worse. I care that this is more clear. Quite honestly, at the game table, the ability as it now stands will make more sense and have less. Well, can you do it now? Could you do it later? How far are you going? And, 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 and this is where sometimes clarity trumps ability. And, and, and I really like Even that. beyond clarity. With the new rabbit hop ability in the book, they did exactly what we have been asking them to do on uh, in a variety of contexts. They tied it to the proficiency bonus, Scaled which it. is amazing, and then they made it base five. If you remember correctly, in the UA, the amount that they could jump was five feet plus a D12. On a five-foot grid board, jumping eight feet doesn't make sense. <laughs> Somebody just hadn't thought that through before it hit playtest, and that yeah, probably came yeah. up real quick. Or, or, or... They read our specific feedback on the survey and listened to our podcast. We we did get one extra listen on that episode that we couldn't quantify. <laughs> it would be nice if they had. Uh, that sounded really good. That's my head cannon that you know Crawford and his team actually listened to us. Mr. Crawford, next time, next time you've got a UA that you need the rules clarified on, give us a call. We'll help you out. Let's let's carry on here. Uh, some other things in the this introductory chapter, um, I really really liked the way that they specified how to start this chapter with your players. Gave you a couple of different ways to get into it, depending on which way your players wanted to go and which ways you wanted to go. You know, get either the lost things angle, which is a little bit more flavorful, but kind of a little wonky if you don't want to go ahead and do that, or uh, basically the. Um, uh, sacred mission from the mysterious patron uh, uh, who goes ahead and sends you in there. And I thought that giving that choice had enough uh, possibility, it had enough upside, it had enough uh, je ne sais quoi that it, you know, again, they're, they're aiming this book for new parties. And I also think they're aiming it at new DMs also. This chapter really helped round out, I'm a new DM, how do I start a game? And it, it, I think it did a really nice job of doing it. even including the pronunciation guide. Like I think the pronunciation guide, the fact that they have never included a pronunciation guide before uh, is, is, is a crime. I thought that was actually really cool. Yes. Yeah. It's going to solve so many, yeah, so many I, I questions. Like yeah, absolutely. You mentioned the fact that, that this is a brand new, that this is geared towards new players, but also geared towards newer DMs. It begs the, it begs the uh, issue that I think with these adventure modules, 
that they come out with once a year around this time each year that they are really trying to find a way to bring in new players. They're constantly trying to bring in new players. So the idea is adventure modules bring in new players. By the time you get done with tier one and most of tier two play, now you've got people who can either take their characters to some of the more, some of the few adventure paths that have advanced play, or you're now good enough and seasoned enough you can make your own homebrew campaign in the various settings. So I get the sense that they're really focused in these of just bringing in players, bringing in new people. Yep. Uh, and and not focused on what to do after they're here. Because to some extent, how wrong is that? We did the first four adventures in one campaign book, even though it was an anthology book, and we're like, okay, we're ready to branch out and do different things. How common is that? I think fairly common. A- and and again, where's the sweet spot of adventures? It's actually in that late tier one, early tier two play. So they're going to focus on putting their products and their energies in those areas. And for those of us who go beyond, we're going to go beyond. And that's what the monster manual is for. That's where all the rules about, here's how you ramp up something. Here's what the homebrew community is for. And I don't know if that's a bad model. It is frustrating when we're looking for a little more support, but I get it. I get it. But that's also why they open the licensing to allow things like DM skill to run so that fans can run the higher level things that they're ready for that the rest of the group may not be. But It'd still be nice if the main company, I agree with Josh still. I mean, if you're going to say the game goes this far, at least once in a while, you ought to be putting out something for the higher level people. Yeah. I mean, the most that they've done is up to level 17 for Candlekeep. There still has never been. Right. That was the first. Nothing above 15 or 16, I think, before Candlekeep. Right. So, I mean, there ought to be at least one thing out there of gods and yep. devils or Except something. The, yeah. Yeah. The, the only thing they've got that goes up to level 20 is the Tarasque. <laughs> I will say, though. <laughs> While you were talking about the uh, the ways to start it, I loved the lost things angle. I loved it, um, and I don't. I know we don't want to give everything away, but like, and originally I didn't like. I read it at first. And I'm like, wait. So let me get this straight. Sometime when I was a kid, I went to this carnival that only comes once every eight years. And while I was there, I was I lost something. What? So eight years later, I've really got to get my GI Joe back. Until I read the lost things table. Mm-hmm. And that's where it really comes in. Um, but if I've lost my ability to smile, you got to think Faye. You got to think, you know, if I've lost my sense of direction, you know, something that I always had, something that I prized, and that's the kind of things that you could lose, something integral to you, then you're coming back for it. And if you had it's, a party of people, if you start thinking about it, yeah. If we had a party of people, that created first level characters to role play that out, right? Where everybody picked something that they'd lost. And if somebody couldn't smile, it wouldn't work because we don't do video, but like it could be really cool to sit down with a group and do that. If everybody, w- and they never met, you know, they all came to the fair before when it was here eight years ago. A collaborative world building with that type oh, table. So good. That would be hot. Absolutely. That, I mean, when I looked at that table, the first thing I thought is Josh must love the hell out of the loving table it. loving it because that oh. is that is prepped primed and ready world building and role play uh it it, it is just there and and i'll tell you honestly i'm not five three anymore i'm actually five six i went to the carnival when i was a kid and then bastards have not come back yet and i want 
my three inches three of inches. height. That's a good I mean, story, you, Lee. That's a good could story. You imagine, uh, uh, I mean, could you imagine being like a parent and taking your seven-year-old child to the carnival who, uh, because you won't get him candy, uh, cotton candy, decides to leave with the carnival and that's why you've lost your ability to smile because your pride and joy left with the carnival and that's why you lost your ability to smile? Oh, See, now I you're mean, just making that heartbreaking yeah, and hurtful. Oh, totally. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm all about the dark fae. <laughs> we, we are, while we love the fae, I am not as whimsical about it. I, uh, I, I think there is a bit of whimsy and there's a lark but I always like my Faye with the little twang of darkness. Yeah, we're, I, there's, we're, we're there's, a, there's, there's, there's a touch. There's a touch of it. Yeah. You know, there, there's, there's a reason why there's whiskey involved, right? Uh, because something about it needs to be a, a little off. So I get a little touch of darkness, but it doesn't have to be they stole my child so I could never smile again. There's still a touch of darkness in a mirror that's enchanted to steal smiles or anything else that you could come mm -hmm. up with. Oh, sure. Right. Or yeah. so that the kid lost his ability to smile. You don't have to make some mom lose her kid. You know, you don't have to make her watch your son <laughs> running across the field. Oh, <laughs> like in game of Thrones, when they finally, they finally might get the oh, other fine. brother back, you know, <laughs> Oh, they were never getting of course they back. Were. Weave, Rickon, weave. Right, Bob. Zigzag. Yeah. <laughs> right, like, like, don't make it easy jo for Josh him. has got to take it, too. The mom's trying to get her kid inside, and he's getting pinned down by arrows, and she's going, no, Billy, no. And now she can never <laughs> smile again. Yeah, well, you know, that's what I do. All right, let's uh, let's carry on here. Um, let's so we're going to skip over the next hundred and seventy five pages of the book, uh, and we're going to dive right into Appendix A. And this is probably one of the best lists of magic items that I've seen in quite a while in in a campaign book. Let's uh, let's go through and talk about some it. of our favorites. Um, I love the Helm of Dread. Oh, the Dread and I Helm! Was actually Absolutely. Originally going to try to save this for. Uh, when we talk the Dread Helm, uh, I was going to save this, but I love the original AD and D characters that have made finally their appearance in Five E. Mercy on Strongheart, Warduke, Kellek, the rest of the crew. I love them, and there's a few more that are not here that I used to have. The Northern Barbarian, which was a giant uh, type figure. Um, and then there's a, an elf that was there that I, that I really like, uh, and I Perlay the elf, I believe his name was. So there's a few more that are out there and I hope they bring them in very, very soon. I'm totally, I mean, that's the next appendix. Because totally Warduke's helm there. is the dread helm. Okay, fair. <laughs> okay. I was like, that's okay. I saw how he got there, but yeah, he tangented hard, man. I'm sorry. I, I went hard. I, I went hard right on you. I apologize, <laughs> but the dread helm is so perfect because it has no effect other than to look. I like it too. And there's a whole thing <laughs> that just, I used to make yeah. when playing video games. It is much better to look cool than kick ass, or you have to look cool than kick ass in that order. And that's what this helm does. And it is so signature for Warduke and so signature an item. Like, I absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. It's one of my favorite items in the game. It's actually calling out one of the things I liked about this list of magical items is that we're seeing items that aren't just designed to have that super cool ultra awesome power or extra spell or heavy damage something that's basic where all it does is the dread helm you didn't even tell people what it did did you want to tell people what it did lee it was your item it makes you look cool 
it makes your eyes glow red and it shadows your face. So you can't see your face. And that's his total effect. It's not a plus 20 helm or anything. Now, mind you, you could make a dread helm plus three if you wanted. No, I, I kind of like it not. Yeah, because not everything, ha- it's one of the things we talked about in our Magic Items episode. Not everything has to be a damage bonus or, you know, you can come up with other ways to do it, but that's what I'm I mean. also sort of like that it's a common item. So it's entirely possible that you could go to like a magic shop store and they could have dread helms in like seven different sizes. My favorite, similarly, I had to scroll to find it and I just found it, which is why I suddenly spoke and cut you off when you were talking about it. But uh, the pipe of smoke monsters was probably my absolute favorite magic item. And it has, aside from a, a cool-ass Gandalf effect, no purpose whatsoever. While smoking the pipe, you can use an action to exhale a puff of smoke that forms a single creature, such as a dragon, flump, or you know whatever else, in smoke. That's it. Totally love it. I, and I totally agree. I, I highlighted that one, too, that like this is something that kind of keeps coming up throughout the book, right? Is that all these things are so flavorful and in the magic items, they do it right. Where like, they've got, they've got so much flavor that I don't mind that they don't have statistical benefits. Right. Um, and so, uh, same thing with the, with the, the pipe, like, you know, you see some, you know, uh, some elf sitting on a mushroom with this three foot long pipe that every time he puffs out of it, a dragon forms and flies around. I mean, that's, it's Gandalf, like that's Gandalf's pipe, right? right. Like that's so, so yeah. It, it was such a beautiful send up, uh, to source material being Gandalf. Yeah. yeah. I really like, and this one does have a lot of mechanical benefit. I like the Eldritch staff. I thought it was a really, a really cool power. I love its escape. Look, Magic users are squishy, and they don't always have time or the extra spell slots to be effective and protect themselves or get get out of dodge. So having an item that is both effective and has your get out of dodge ability is is quality quality magic item design. Now that is a good that's a good weapon to have. Is that better than some other items? I would say yes. I mean, there are other magic items, the staff power, for example, that have more, can do more, or what have you. I mean, and, you know, and, and expending three charges for additional 3d8 lightning damage, that's not nothing. Like, that's that's pretty significant. I do think that, uh, and this is so, so ticky-tack nitpicky on, on the Eldritch staff in particular, I thought that there was a missed opportunity um, because throughout the entirety of the introduction, they kept going on about how um, there's relevance in the number three and the number eight in the Feywild, mm-hmm. uh, and they, they, they give the Elder Staff cool Feywild weapon, and they give it 10 charges instead of 8. I thought that that was kind of a kind of a missed opportunity. I thought they could have they could have just really kind of uh, uh, brought that home, it. leaned into it a little bit, and made it eight charges instead of ten. But like really, like if that's the extent of the criticism that I'm going to have for that particular weapon, they're doing pretty good. So no, yeah, it's definitely still pretty groovy. I think that probably one of my favorite in here, and you want to talk about an item that actually has like some significant mechanical oomph. That dust of corrosion is and a little uh, crazy. Is an amazing item. An absolutely amazing yeah. item. And the fact that it is uncommon, you sprinkle with it, it's a 10-foot cube, and it just disintegrates. It basically, it's powdered rust monster. <laughs> it's like, it's basically powdered rust monster. So, you, you know, uh, a fighter who's walking around in, in, the, uh, in, in the nice steel armor and everything like that, powdered rust monster, steel armor's gone. I love it. I think that, and it's incredibly powerful. Uh, it's a 10-foot cube. Steel armor's gone. Steel belt buckle's gone. Weapons steel are gone. Steel sword is gone. 
one of my favorite items. I think incredibly powerful. I think that that's one of those things that like, you know, if your bad guy is being chased, you know, you think about um, the reborn assassin there that I wrote for the, the Gothic archetypes there. I think about that assassin. If he's getting chased um, by people, uh, absolutely. He's keeping a packet of this behind him, throwing it behind him as a cloud that they have to run through um, so he can go ahead and make his getaway. Like, absolutely. And, and I want to throw a shout out to all my, to all my B5 fans. Is that pole of collapsing? I'm all about it. All about it. Oh, man. I got a couple different builds that I want to build that. If you're talking on the shock, that's your item. That's that. That's what it is. Yep. Pole of collapsing yep. also is a very cool item. Again, totally. without being something that's overpowering, but super handy, yep. super useful. Yeah, I would have liked if it was described like, does it have to be metal? Does it have to be wood? I'd have liked a little more description there because the picture looks wood ish but it doesn't necessarily say and i could think uh, you know what a great uh warforged item you know i think i i could think of a warforged monk with that item and that would be freaking cool that would be badass yeah just all these neat little things in my head and there's nothing stopping anybody from homebrewing that it's a pole it's a pole arm it's just a quarter staff you can make it metal you can make it whatever you want and i think it would be fine but uh, I, I I think it's a great item. One of my favorite uh, was also uh, the um, uh, and I, the only notes that I wrote about it were uh, creepy AF, um, and that's the talking doll. <laughs> Man, you know, this is what I love about the Fey and the Fey Wild is there is no kind of like set of of rules or set of lore or anything that does creepy quite as well as the Feywild. Um, and the talking doll, I can just imagine this, and the, and the picture is like flat out disturbing, first of all. Um, but man, just like, just creepy as hell. Yeah, Raggedy Andy is bugging me. He's like looking at me with his one scary eye and I don't like it. I don't like anything like Raggedy Andy. I had a Raggedy Andy when I was a kid. Do not call that ugly, horrible, monstrous thing Raggedy Andy. Let's uh let's move on to append to appendix B here and 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 I'm gonna I'm gonna cut you off from being creepy right there, Lee Winnick. I really am. I'm just gonna no more creepy because I, I need to be able to sleep tonight. So let's talk about appendix B and this gets into the factions. Now, Lee Winnick, you talked a little bit about the appearance of a bunch of the characters from the the D and D cartoon and the party of Valor's call D- dive into that a little bit here. What was it that you liked about seeing those? I mean, other than the obvious, the fact that they're cool. I owned all of them are all of the original figure figures. And among them are some of my favorite characters. Uh, Mercy is a character that I use in my current game. I have this whole detailed plot and story for, for, for the character uh, that I won't go into here because way too many spoilers for my, for both of my two campaigns, but I can say she figures prominently into my game. Uh, so seeing this form of the character is very cool, and it gives me some really neat ideas about my game and, and adding some of these things into the game. Like perhaps the character's meeting her by way of the carnival at a much younger age, as opposed to where she is in my game, which is a whole different level. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and... Uh, I just love seeing these depictions. The artwork is great. It's a great plus up of the artwork that went with the original characters, the original action figures. I just love the characters. To me, that is a D&D. Those are the characters that made me like this game 
before I sat down to play the first time. When somebody said, hey, do you want to play D&D? I already owned all the figure. I had never even seen the game. But simply because I had these figures, I'm like, oh, this is where they're from? They weren't even in the first game I played. But simply because the name was associated with these action figures, I was willing to play that first game. And that's, that, that's why. Because these characters go to the core and the start of my journey through tabletop games. Nice. I like it. What about you, Glenn? What did you think about the faction section? Was there anything that, that spoke to you in particular about these guys? So I really liked that they included a faction section to specifically detail them as opposed to squeezing them into other areas. Because um, I think factions are something that are overlooked and often that kind of happens. You know, when they're talking about an area, they'll discuss a faction that's in it as opposed to giving it its own separate thing. But they create so much depth in the world in terms of the ways that different societies and organizations can, can interact with each other. And no, this is still bullshit because it doesn't apply to this. It talks about factions, but not, it's not what these factions do. I don't know how to relate this. I didn't watch Valor's Call. So it's a, it's a coven of hags and a league of villains. I, I don't really got anything for you. I thought these factions were important for the story, but aside from that, they didn't do anything for me. So in addition to just being the start of where I come to gaming with, I find that these factions are really good because of the way they're detailed. Like literally the way they're detailed does a wonderful job of, of bringing something out. So how you use the factions, I'll see more of that as we play through the game and play through the module. But what I like about this is we have stat blocks for each of these people. Uh, in much the same way as we construct things and we're building them, we're gonna, we build characters, then we build stat blocks for them. So they're usable in, uh, for, for other storytellers, other DMs. Uh, I like this. I think it's a great way to say, hey, I'm playing a level such and such. I want to bring in some aid. Here's a great NPC that's about the same level. They need a fighter. Let's bring in Elkhorn. Uh, they need a paladin. Let's bring in Strongheart. They need a wizard. Let's bring in the wizard. You know, uh, you could do that. If you're fighting a villain and your villain group seems to be shy a little somebody, we hired we hired Wardew. If you remember, Glenn, from our old game back uh, on uh, Willow Pond, Wardew was hired by the bad guys. He was actually hired by his brother, Elkin Deathblade, because I had Wardew being the brother of my of my big bad, and he was the lieutenant. So I utilized that character as as one of the largest antagonists in my ongoing game. Um, so I love the fact that these characters are here. They can be used. I think their specific level they're, cat, they're created at here is a little bit lower than I would prefer. Yep. I'm a veteran storyteller. I can plus up anything. I can add a, I can add a couple more casts a day and maybe one more level of spells to plus up a, a spell cast. I, I can add a, a stat here or there uh, where need be to give the right bonuses or to give the right oomph to get these guys across the line. But, uh, you know, pre-show, Josh and I even spoke about the the uh, the elder staff and one of the bad guys, and we had determined that while at face value it seems fairly weak, it's not that they're so much weak as that they could be very swingy. These bad guys, if they're in a fight against a reasonable-sized party, all they need is a little a little advantage at the beginning of the, of, of the combat, and they can really tool on a party. And so I think they, they just, they're actually fairly well designed. It's just a storyteller has to know their part, their players. Yep, no, exactly. And know their players' characters 
and know what to do. With yeah, it. exactly. So we were talking specifically about the League of Malevolence and Kellic, the leader. And my take on Kellic initially was that for the leader of a group of bad guys, he really wasn't strong enough, right? That I was expecting some sort of a legendary action or something, something that would give him a little bit of special sauce. And the more we started kind of looking at it, it's like, that that's the key. It's like, we pictured like, okay, if we've got, I, I used specifically the, the, the Patreon actual play party, uh, they ended last session at third level. I was like, those five or six third level characters take down this CR5 guy no problem whatsoever. And the more we started to think about it, we're like, well, yeah, unless he gets advantage. And if he gets advantage and he can start picking off the targets that are most likely to do him in, all of a sudden that party is having a real tough time. And and all that to go ahead and say that that they're they're built better than I thought they were on initial on initial read, which is good. Um, and that I think this whole faction chapter is probably some of the most easily lifted pieces of this entire book in terms of how to bring them into any campaign. Like you want to bring that that Coven of Hags as the as a as the the big bad in your campaign? Done. Easily easily done. You can bring them in, you can give them different places. You don't have to go ahead and tie them to the Feywild like they are here in the story. Everything is great. You want to bring the League of Malevolence in? Done. You want to bring the the heroes from from Valor's Call in as hireable heroes? Done. Easily liftable to your homebrew campaign. Absolutely. And, and the artwork is gorgeous. I mean, well, the, the artwork, artwork is, is great. Gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. That's one thing that we have not really talked about an awful lot, but the the the, the artwork in this book is uh is amazing. So Okay, let's get to the last appendix here. Um, and and uh, this is the creatures appendix. It was fine. It didn't it didn't really do a super lot for me. Creature appendix, it's a it's a monster manual. Nothing super outstanding for me, but I'm happy to. If either of uh, if either of you guys found anything that really inspired you, uh, we can dive into it. I liked the Darklings. I thought that was a neat thing. I think having Dark Fae. I think there needs to be a little bit more of that kind of thing to show that more sinister side of the Fae. I think there's not enough of that. And I also like the fact that with the Darklings, we get a bit of a discussion. We get a standard Darkling and we get a leader Darkling. Uh, I think that's very very cool. I love the gi- the giant dragonfly. I think that's kind of that's kind of re- awesome. You know, we talked about the Harangon thumping in, in the distance. How about an army of Aladrin flying on giant on giant dragon? Yeah, totally. Yeah, that I think would be awesome. Like I can actually I can actually see like a shadow fell fey war, and you've got the the uh, the rabbit folk on the hill coming down the hill, and then oh, and then uh, the, the shadow realm. Uh, enemies feel like they've got this beat because it's just the rabbit folk and a few other, and then all of a sudden, Aladrin archers uh, on dragonflies uh, come in from above, and then a couple fairy dragons and some other things, and and then they look down, and all of a sudden, a bunch of the fairies have been sneaking through the grass the whole time. So you have this squad of uh, fairy assassins, soul knight fa- <laughs> fairies that are at their feet just. And I changed my mind. I now want to play a fairy. I want to play a soul knife fairy. That's amazing. Because that's cool. Yeah. That would be cool. I I do wish that the the detail that they put in. But I but I want my one inch my one inch space thing. I that's it. I want that. Or at least make it a feat. At least make it a feat. (laughs) 
I do wish that the detail they put in the Herringon with the brigands and the snipers, I wish they'd put that in the lineage section. In the Herringon? To go ahead and say, you know? Yeah. Give them some history or, you know, some depth. I thought so, too. Yeah. That's where it should have been. Yeah. You know, I think that would have been nice, you know. But, uh, again, it's a minor quibble. Like, I'm not going to, like... It's fine. Um, I like the inclusion of the Jabberwock. I thought that that was really cool because one of the fav- one of my favorite weapons was the Snickersnack, which was I thought just a really uh, it's just a really great Vorpal sword about how it's like this like super moody intelligent weapon. I it's, love it. I, you, I love it, moody it's intelligent like the, weapons. It's almost like, like the yeah. the sword of summer. Yes, I I like the Jabberwock for all the right reasons, all the literary reasons. I thought the picture was kind of neat, and and it's funny. It doesn't matter what who draws it how it's drawn, what depiction it's ever been in. Every time I've ever seen anybody draw the Jabberwock or Jabberwocky, it's always looked, yeah, that's what I see. Like, I don't know why. And none of them have been the same. But it's always, yep, that's what I see. And I think that speaks to the power of that of, of that caricature uh, and the way that it works. And I love that. I, I mean... You know, my players beware. You might see one of these sometime soon. I thought the Corrid was really interesting, specifically because of its hair. I'm going to be honest. I thought that was kind of fascinating for a hot second. They have hair all over their body, but the hair that grows off of their head is magical. And when cut, it transforms into strands of whatever material was used to cut it. So if you cut it with iron shears, it becomes threads of iron and they make rope out of it. Oh, that's kind of cool. If you cut it with gold, and that would lead to believe that if you cut it with a pair of shears made from gold, you would now have strands of gold. That is um, cool. But they're, they're like earth creatures. They're very, cl- they're close to rock elementals and whatnot. But that, that one feature I thought was really groovy, but it would also mean that there might be people that wanted to like capture the little bastards and turn them into their go- someone's golden goose. I can picture uh, an adventure where a dragon Probably a green or a blue dragon has one of these in a cage in their in their lair, and the party can def- try to defeat the dragon and or bargain to save to uh, spare the cord. Now, there's lots of there's lots of plot points you could do with with that concept and the the, the value of getting your hold on a fey creature like a goose that lays golden eggs that could produce unlimited wealth. Endless plot, in, endless pot possibilities, and not for nothing. Let's you know, Korids have an AC armor class, ninety three hit points, and multi attack. So like, oh, yeah, they're, they're, they're not, not slouches. They're, they're not slouches. Yeah, no. they're challenge seven creatures. Like, that's, yeah, they're, they're they're not little. They're not little fairies. They can kick your butt too. They they can kick your butt. They're little balls of iron. Yeah. So okay, let's try to put a put a cap on this here. Good book. I'm gonna hold off saying great book until we play through some of the adventure stuff because i think that we i have intentionally not read a lot of it right but i like what i see i like what i read i like what i'm seeing it wasn't exactly the feywild book that i wanted but especially after talking to you guys tonight about it i'll take it i understand why this is the feywild book we got and i just hope that enough people love this book enough that we get the feywild book we really want yeah, uh, I would absolutely concur with that assessment. Uh, good uh, reserve on commenting. Great. This adventure module, when we played through it, could take it over the top. It could also, if it's exceptionally bad, and I'm paying this for this book and have this huge adventure chapter that, that tanks, take it out of good as well. 
Uh, but I don't expect that to be the case. Again, I go back to Jeremy Crawford. The love that he discussed and, and, and put into his interview about the material, I actually think a lot more of his energy went into the adventure than the rest of the book. And I have a sense that we're really going to like the adventure. And I have a sense that we're going to probably be exceptionally pleased. And, the, and that adventure will elevate the book. I also know that we play with, we are playing this with our patrons who are amazing role players uh, and have traditionally elevated all the material they touch in the games that we've done for the AP and other games we uh, I've played in, in, in with them, the ones I've played with before. So I have a sense we're going to end up feeling even better about this book when we're done uh, than right now. And I think we'll touch base on it. Uh, when we wrap up at the year's end, we'll have some of these adventures in so we can kind of give our thoughts about where things are with uh, at least one or two of these uh, under our belt. Absolutely. Yeah. Glenn, final words? I could lean towards going out on a limb and saying I'm expecting it to be pretty great based on what I've read. I was impressed from reading the summary and the way that they designed just the overplot of three natural and one adoptive daughter of Baba Yaga and uh, the lore that they spun into that in a way that this whole thing happened. And I'm not going to tell everybody everything because you can go buy the book just based on the lore aspect leading to what the adventure could be. It filled me with a whole lot of hope that this is going to be a really good time. So I'm just going to ride that for now and say, I'm looking for it to be great. I like it. I like the optimism. So, all right. So, <laughs> All right. So uh, everybody out there listening to us, remember, big giveaway going on right now. Uh, very uh, awesomely sponsored by uh, by Citadel Game Seller in Groton, Connecticut. Uh, we are giving away one copy of The Wild Beyond the Witchlight, the special friendly neighborhood game store co- uh, hardcover. To get in on the action, uh, the contest is going to run for one 10-day from today when you're listening to it uh, until Monday, October 4th. To get in, share on Twitter or on Facebook with the hashtag TTJFEYBS for the Tabletop Journeys Faye Bookstravaganza. And hop on and join our Patreon subscribers list. You can join our Patreon subscribers for as little as a dollar a month. Uh, you get great benefits. You get great access to the content that we're producing on here. And everybody who's a Patreon subscriber gets an extra entry into the giveaway here to uh, to get a copy of the book. So uh, you should check that out. You can go to www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys to, uh, to get in on that action. So yeah. Hit the kinfolk level and come play with us. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. If you uh, if you want to get in on our actual play, uh, join our Patreon, and that's the way to go ahead and do it. So. And then you'll be actually playing through some of the adventures in the books if you can uh, get your way into the party. If they sound like a good time, absolutely come and play with us. We'd love to go ahead and have you. You know, we would love to be in the position where we need to run more than one session every month because we have so many Patreons. And that way, you know, uh, you know, I, I'm I've been running the game so far, but certainly I know Lee Wanika and Glenn have. We all want to get in on uh, on running here. So uh, bring your friends, come join our Patreon. Yeah, the, as we speak, there is content for additional games being worked on and getting ready for uh, for for play. Uh, now all we need is enough patrons where we can run multiple sessions at once. All right. 
Thank you very much for listening, everybody. Hope that you are enjoying The Wild Beyond the Witchlight. We know uh, we've all uh, enjoyed what we've read so far and really looking forward uh, to diving into the uh, the adventure module itself with our Patreons. Uh, and that is going to start in uh, just a couple of hours from when you're hearing this episode. So uh, we'll be, uh, we'll be uh, di- diving in there and looking forward to that. So thank you very much, and we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. You can join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. And make sure you join our growing online community. You can follow us on Twitter at TT Journeys and join us on Facebook just by searching Tabletop Journeys there. You can also reach us by email at podcast at ttjourneys.com. And if you want to catch early access to our episodes and some of the other benefits we have coming down the pipeline, you can also support our production at patreon.com slash ttjourneys. If you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, Audible, or any other podcast platform, we would really appreciate if you would like and subscribe to the podcast. Full episodes come out every week on Saturdays and every Wednesdays. We'll feature our SideQuest series where we talk about pretty much anything tabletop-oriented. Thank you all so much for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler on our path, we bid you shade and sweet water.